Hello, everyone. This is Sportify. Connor is on the other end, and I swear we have recorded about 17 other episodes. And this is part two of the Power Five. We are going to get into specific teams, breakout teams for this upcoming season. Like you said, I have some Power Five breakthrough teams I want to discuss progression in that way. And then I look, I want to look at some Power Five teams who I think will win less regular season games this season than they did last year. So in that sense, regression. I'll start with the regression first. Let's let's get the negative out of the way first and then we'll end on the positive. So teams who might regress. First and foremost, you know, we had the AP poll came out, preseason AP poll. It should be noted that at least one team in the preseason top 10 has finished unranked in 18 of the last 20 polls. Baylor was number 10. I have a feeling, you know, they won 10 regular season games last year, then they won the Big 12 championship, and then they won the bowl game against Ole Miss in the nearest six. So that was the best season, arguably, in Baylor football history. So 10 regular season wins. Can they do that or better? I'm. It's a straight up no for me. So there are multiple reasons why I don't think Baylor is winning as many regular season games as they did last oh. year. No chance for 11 wins. I don't think they have any chance for 10. If they win nine, I would be completely surprised. And that's a heck of a job by the coaching staff given the roster for this year. I think they're more likely to win seven or eight games and finish unranked. Has Baylor changed any of their coaching staff this season? No, they are 126th in the country in returning production. That's good lord. Yeah, that's out of 131 FBS teams, mind you that. So, and you know, Baylor isn't exactly a team that reloads. They don't recruit five stars. It's not like Alabama or Ohio State, where they just okay. Well, we got another five-star dude who's gonna who's gonna throw. For, if it's a quarterback who's gonna throw for 3,000 yards, we have another receiver who's gonna have a, oh, at least. 800 yards receiving will be just fine now i will say this if alabama and ohio state were that low in returning production it would be no it would be noticeable it just may not really affect the wins and losses it just may affect how they're winning their games could affect their losses it should be noted and i remember discussing this last year in the preview ohio state last year was one of the lowest teams in returning production in the country and guess what they missed out on the playoff and it they did kind of look questionable to start the season they didn't look that great against minnesota uh, lost against Oregon, and they were keep Tulsa went into Columbus and was keeping it close with Ohio State. And Tulsa, Tulsa was, yeah, and Tulsa from the group of five, they were a 500 team this past year. They did give Cincinnati all they could handle. Tulsa was an interesting team, but we're not really discussing about them today. But if you were low in returning production, and I'm not talking, you know, 88th in the country, which is low, I'm talking more like 126. Or if you're in those last 15, 20 spots, really, if you're in the triple digits and you don't reload, you rebuild, it's going to show. And more importantly, just because you're low in returning production doesn't mean you're going to struggle. It also should be noted, well, who do you play? Are there any teams that will take advantage of that? Uh, This year, there are. For Baylor, Baylor has, count them, six true road games this year. Six. Most teams play four maybe five they play six it's an also it's also important to note if you were to look at baylor over the last 10 years essentially over the playoff era most of their breakthrough years in fact all of them but one have occurred in odd years 2015 they were really good 2017 they were not 2019 they were really good this past year they were really good 
And then if you look at the even years of the playoff era, 2014, that was the first year of the playoff. They were really good that year. But 2016 went 500. 2018 went 500. Then the COVID year, but they still went three and seven. And they were set for a rebuild that year. They lost a lot of production who who went on to the NFL and graduated. And they also lost their head coach. Audience, I, I want you to count how many times Connor says returning production. And if yeah. you get the number right, you win nothing. But I just want to know how many times he says it. I, I love it. I love you. But you say it so much. It's so funny. Okay, I'll, okay, thank you for pointing that out. I will make sure I don't say it as much. <laughs> if you were to look at Bill Connolly's numbers that he puts out, I will call it RP. So if he, <laughs> when he puts out his numbers with RP, it really does mean a lot for every single respective season, especially for the teams who are in the tier two to tier four range. Baylor is not winning 10 regular season games this year. Now, whether it's they disappoint and go six and six, or it's seven and five, eight and four, or if, if they make the most out of the roster and win nine games, again, they would be very fortunate to do that. Point being, expect a drop off. There has been at least one team in the preseason rankings, 18 the last 20 years to finish unranked. And given that Baylor was just inside the top 10 at number 10 today, I think that team would be Baylor. If there's a team in the top 10 to finish unranked, it would be the Bears. Completely unrelated to everything you just said. But when you said the drop off, it made me think of Finding Nemo when they're like, the drop off, we're going to the drop off. (laughs) Disney, please do not sue me. Uh, Copyright to Disney. Disney Productions, Walt Disney Productions, anything. It's all owned by them. Oh my gosh. Hey, hey, if we're okay, let's go to the Golden Gophers. I'm sure you want to hear a little bit about Minnesota. Now, last year, I remember this, and I think you might remember this too. Last year, I talked about their offensive line. You did. And how good it was. Well, that's not going to be the same case this year. Is it Minnesota loses five of their top six offensive linemen from last year? They do return their best. Their center, John Michael Schmitz, he's likely to be a top three center in college football this year, if not the best. There's question marks abound everywhere else, and it's another school like like Baylor with Minnesota that doesn't reload. They rebuild. And here's the thing. People have to remember this, and I, I remember discussing this last year as well. Last year was the super senior season, so you were going to see a lot of teams that were going to have some of their better years in recent years, but that they were going to face heavy regression. If you go back and listen to episodes you're on with me, you said exactly what you proved. (laughs) You proved it. You proved it was going to happen. And that was your original hypothesis. You said, these are the teams that are going to going to the drop-off. They have. And so you're absolutely right. So seriously, audience, go back way into the COVID year and listen to Connor's episodes because he was 100% right on the docket. What's really interesting, you know, Minnesota won nine games uh, last year and they lost to Bowling Green and Illinois both at home. So a lot of people are viewing it like, oh, but they were so close to doing much better. And, you know, people are going to look at it and say the last two quote unquote normal years with last season in 2019, Minnesota has essentially, you know, broken through, has done really good. And so there's discussion with them being that dark horse team to win the Big Ten West this coming year. I think that's going to be a tough task for Minnesota. Now, you know me, the last couple of years, I was the first person to hop on the Minnesota bandwagon. I and do you believe are falling people. off, and I am disappointed. Hey, I am not falling off. I am knowing when to jump on and when to jump off. You're that's in the drop-off. I don't know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. So their offensive line was so good last year. They had some injuries at receiver in the preseason, 
they kind of rode their strength. Again, their offensive line was just fantastic last year. Ask any defensive line that had to go up against the Maulers for the Gophers last year, and they will tell you that that's obviously not going to be the case this year. They got a lot of question marks, and really there's an internal internal question marks within their own program, which is you know, not a great sign for this coming season. But my point is they relied so much on their offensive line, it kept their defense off the field. Minnesota was fourth last year in time of possession. That's incredible. Their defense only faced 47 quality possessions, meaning they were hardly ever on the field. So, and that was because of that offensive line. So really that Minnesota offensive line meant a lot to them last year and everything. Minnesota, all their their top five running backs all averaged like five yards to five and a half yards per carry. And no offense to the running backs, but that probably means the offensive line was really the real reason why they were able to be that successful. I mean, you're not gonna go you know, have, you're not going to go to your fifth running back and he's going to do the exact same stuff your first string is. That's not how it works. In the Big Ten, every single season, every single team, teams will play nine conference games. Well, this year for Minnesota, it's five away and four at home. And the road games early on, three of the first four conference games are on the road at Penn State, or it's at Michigan State, at Illinois, at Penn State. And then they play Purdue after the Michigan State game and Purdue's going to be coming off of Florida Atlantic. I would expect if I had to make a record prediction for Minnesota, 7-5, and five, they got question marks on the defensive line. They lose six of their top eight guys from last year. Also, this is a totally unrelated question, but you were talking about Purdue earlier. Yeah. Why are they called, you probably won't know the answer to this, but why are they called the Boilermakers instead of just the Boilers? because they're going to be boiling up this year and they're going to be making it happen. That's why. No, I don't know. Wow. And every time you say returning production or RP or whatever it is, it's so funny to me now that it reminds me of the episode SpongeBob, What's Funnier Than 24, 25. All all rights go to Nickelodeon. That is <laughs> If you want to mention one more team in terms of regression, Ole Miss. Now, this was a team last year that won 10 games for the first time in program history. Um, You know, didn't win their bowl game against Baylor, but that was because I think Matt Corral. I think had Matt Corral not gotten hurt early in that game, almost would have won. Because you might remember, that game was tied 7-7 late in the third quarter. And Baylor's offense was on the field most of the game, meaning Baylor's defense was getting stops and almost couldn't do anything. And yet that game was still tied. So imagine if Matt Corral was there because Baylor's offense was still doing nothing despite being on the field a lot. So imagine if Matt Corral is there. More possessions for Ole Miss, definitely more chances for points, and Baylor's having to play catch-up, and that whole entire game changes. Ole Miss would have won had Matt Corral stayed in there. And for Ole Miss, now Ole Miss could get off to a, start, a really good start this year, kind of like Nebraska. After mid-October for Ole Miss, it, the schedule gets tricky. They have to go to Baton Rouge to play LSU. They have to go to Arkansas to play the Razorbacks. They have to go to College Station to play the Aggies, and they still have to play Alabama. And of course, their rival Mississippi State, who is in the top of RP this year. Now, Mississippi State's a high variance team, so I'm not saying watch out for Mississippi State, but I do think given their high amount of RP and given their high variance of a team, they're going to beat somebody good this year, whether it's A&M or Ole Miss or maybe LSU early on. Mississippi State's gonna beat somebody good this year. Ole Miss, my record prediction for them would actually be seven and five. I would like for you to finish out by talking about two teams, Nebraska, like you said, and Arkansas. I'm interested to hear your takes on where they are going to be next year, for this year. Arkansas's 
Arkansas had a really good year last year. They obviously broke through. They're they're not going to be a part of my progression list this year. That doesn't mean I don't think they could be better. The, the fact of the matter is Arkansas could be much better than last year and still only win like nine regular season games. They just have too difficult of a schedule. They might actually have the most difficult schedule in the country. In fact, I'm going to say they do. And I mean, they play Cincinnati and South Carolina early in the season, although they should win both those games decisively. What should be Arkansas's wins would be a lot of other teams like toss it kind of games. That's how difficult it is because I haven't even gotten to LSU and Alabama and A&M. They have to travel to BYU. They just have a gauntlet this year. So again, Arkansas could be a fabulous team and go nine and three. I think Arkansas can be a top 15 team this year. Nebraska, I don't think they're going to be as good as last year, but they're probably going to at least double their wins. Crazy to think, right? That's where I've been stressing power rankings. Power rankings are different than AP poll, college football playoff. When you were to look at the eight, if you look at power rankings at the end of the season, in fact, this is teams like Baylor and Ole Miss, even though they were top 10 teams for a lot of the part of the season, of course, Baylor finished in the top 10. If you were to look at their power rankings, it wouldn't be quite as good. And it's because they had pretty good teams, but they had pads to get them to that win total. And of course, over the course of 12 games, you're gonna have a couple of games in there that you have to find a way to win. For this year, you know, Nebraska, six of the first seven games are, te are teams who didn't even like make bowl eligibility last year. And neither did Nebraska, but Nebraska was better than their final record indicated. And it should also be noted Nebraska last year, their cross division against the East, they literally played the top three teams, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. This year, Nebraska will have to travel to Michigan, but their other two games, Rutgers and Indiana, and they get Indiana, who's the better of the two right now, they get the Hoosiers at home. And it should also be noted, Nebraska plays Northwestern, who they killed last year. They get them in the first game of the season, who they should win. Then they play North Dakota, not North Dakota State, North Dakota, and Georgia Southern, the first three games, Northwestern, North Dakota, Georgia Southern. They should be 3-0. They'll have a chance to upset Oklahoma. Oklahoma is only a four and a half point favorite right now in Lincoln. They have to travel to Nebraska. And it should be noted, Oklahoma has a lot of questions with their new coaching staff and new players. Nebraska has a lot of new coaching staff and players too, but they get home field advantage. It's, it's noteworthy. I think it could be an interesting game. And then Nebraska will play Illinois and Indiana both at home after bye weeks because Nebraska gets two bye weeks because they play in week zero, which is also another helpful factor for the Cornhuskers this year. So Bianca, I guess all in all, Nebraska is not going to be quite as good as they were last year where it felt like every single week they had a chance to win. It's not going to feel like that this year, but I think Nebraska will finally make it to a bowl game under Scott Frost. Nebraska is making it to the postseason progression to talk about. So I did All talk right. about Nebraska in terms of progression with win total. I got two teams that I think are going to surprise this year. One people may not like that I'm going to that I'm going to bring up. The other team they're going to be like, what? Can you please repeat that? Let's talk about the team, and that's Miami. The reason why is because it seems like everybody hypes up Miami every year. Mario Cristobal from Oregon, who you know, wasn't a tremendous coach, but he's a tremendous recruiter and Oregon still did pretty doggone well. They did win three straight conference championships with him. So I would imagine that uh, he's going to do pretty good things at Miami who like Oregon play in a pretty weak division. 
and the ACC Coastal. This is the last year of the ACC Coastal as well. So wouldn't it be kind of Miami this year has a very manageable schedule. Not a terrific roster, but they got a pretty quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke and a manageable schedule. Really, their only two losable games are at A&M and at Clemson. It's not like those two teams are tremendous. So, And there's also the potential Miami could slip up somewhere else. Worst case scenario, this team is like 9-3. and three. They play Pittsburgh at home. You know, Pittsburgh loses a decent amount. And should be noted, Miami did beat Pittsburgh last year in Pittsburgh. Not the same Pittsburgh team, and Miami will only be better. Watch out for the Hurricanes this year. And I'm going to talk about OSU. Not, or- not Ohio State and not Oklahoma State. Oregon, Oregon State. State. The Beavers. So Oregon State, I think they are a prime candidate to break through this coming season. Veteran team, veteran coaching staff. There's not many coaching staffs that I can look around the country and say that they don't have a lot of first-year coordinators because of the coaching carousel today. Oregon State's one of the few who has kept all their coordinators for several years now. And their head coach, he's just been getting this roster better and better every single season. How many of those games will Oregon State win? I think they can win too. I think they are beating Boise State straight up. And I think between Fresno State and USC, yes, I think they can beat USC. Worst case scenario, they start one and three. However, after that, I think they're going to go on a winning spree. And I think at some point in mid to late November, that's when everybody is going to start talking about Oregon State. Like, oh my gosh, they've won six games in a row. And then they play Oregon with a first-year head coach and a lot of questions on the roster at home. Now, I don't think they're winning at Utah, but everything else is winnable. But can you just imagine if Oregon State went 9-3 and three, or even 8-4? and four? Watch out for the Beavers this year. All right. Thank you so much, Connor. This has been our part two of our Power 5 breakthrough team. Hello, everyone. This is Sportify. I'm back again with Connor Hibbett. Hi, Connor. Again, for the third time today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We are going to do something a little different that we haven't done. So we're going to talk about the top collegiate stadiums throughout the U.S. So we have both ranked our top five, but we're going to compare that and we are ranking them based on just attractiveness of the stadium itself and also the experience that you get when you go there. Connor has his top five. I have my top five. Then we're going to look at a ranked list and see if we are even close in in the fall. I want to hear your top five first. Okay. And by the way, the top five, well, if you want to put it in a particular order, number one being the best you can, but you don't have to. One of mine is Neyland Stadium for the Tennessee Vols. Why? Because having that checkered pattern throughout the entire stadium, I think is so bloody creative. I love the way it looks. I cannot describe. I'm not a fan of orange. I'm not, but I I will make an exception for this. Love the way it looks. 
love the spirit. Even when Tennessee doesn't win, it still seems like everyone's having a good time. That's one of mine. The uh, river that runs in back of one of the end zones for yes. Tennessee is really cool because they got like a lot of tailgates that go on, you know, on the boats out there. All right. So what is your, one of your um, picks? I'm going to go with the Sun Bowl, UTEP in El Paso, University of Texas in El Paso. You're going with our rivals? <laughs> it's a beautiful state. It's always been one of my favorite stadiums. Beautiful view, plus the stadium has that classic old-fashioned look to it. I really like that. But what what is the experience there? I honestly haven't even seen a picture of that stadium. Explain. Well, you get a really good view of the mountains around you, and... It's literally a bowl. Like the stadium looks like a bowl. They don't have seats that go all the way around. They have a big screen on one of the sides of the stadium. I've never been there in person, but I've seen countless pictures of it. It's it's a really dry area, you know, El Paso. So it's not really green. It's not as pretty as some of these others that I'm gonna on my list here, but one of my favorite just stadiums, the scenery is pretty cool, but the stadium in itself is just really old fashioned and I respect that because there doesn't seem to be too much originality with things anymore. You you are right about that. My second one is the Arkansas Razorbacks, their stadium. I love yeah. that stadium. And it's kind of similar to one of my other stadiums that I will list later, but I don't know if it's just the stadiums in the South. Maybe they're just bigger and better. I don't know. But again, love the atmosphere. You got to have good colors, as we've discussed. The brand is there. The font on the, um, that's, this is very specific, but the font on the end zone, love the way it looks because there is nothing worse than having crappy font of the logo or whatever it is True. on the field there's nothing worse than that you can kind of get past if there's like kind of a crappy logo in the center of the football field but on the end zone where people are scoring you really need that to look good that is the money shot if you're taking a photo you know arkansas looks very clean in that stadium that is my other one what what is yours Folsom Field, home of the Colorado Buffaloes. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, absolutely incredible scenery with a tremendous view of the Rocky Mountains. Never been there in person. Absolutely gorgeous. It is one of the best views you can get in college football. In fact, a couple of the others that I'm going to be telling you are right in that same geographical area. But yeah, Colorado Stadium, is, it's not one of the most electric fan bases, but it has a really it has some of the best scenery of course around i have been to colorado and you are right it is absolutely beautiful um i have driven past that stadium i've not been in it but ah. yeah there there is something magical with those mountains near yeah. and having your college in the mountains like it's just crazy my next is as i said is similar to arkansas but kind of not Kyle Field for Texas A&M. That was, oh, this is going to sound bad, but this is one of my top five stadiums of all time. The experience I have had when I have gone there is like no other. And and I, I have sat at the very top of it. It's beautiful. I love it. You feel like you're at a professional sporting event, even though it's collegiate. I've been there like four times and would go back at any time. So that's my next one. What about you? Lavelle Edwards Stadium, home of the BYU Cougars. Cougar Nation, really good uh, view. I believe those are the Rockies. It's in Provo, Utah. So BYU's got it made. So Cougar Nation has it made over there. So have you ever been there or no? 
No, no, but I, I do want to go over there. And Utah has got to be the cleanest state. No, you are US. right about that. You are so, so right. I definitely want to visit there. Yeah. I have been to Utah, not to that stadium, but I have been to Utah. And you are absolutely right about the cleanliness. I went downtown. And usually when you go inside a city downtown, there's some trash, all right? And even if it's not quote unquote trashed out, there's trash on the street and like, you know, like stuff like that, busy cities. There was not a speck of dust or dirt on the ground anywhere near when I was walking around the city. And I was like, are there... Do people live here? Like, what, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, really. So thank you, Utah, for having your environmentally conscious state. So, okay. How many have we each done? Are you keeping track? I'm about to discuss the fourth one. I think you are too. You okay, good. My next one is Notre Dame's stadium. I almost I almost Ooh. chose that one. Ooh. Oh, I thought I stole it from you. Um, <laughs> beautiful city and beautiful campus in in general based on the catholic faith and very um if the vatican had a stadium this would be it um, <laughs> um <laughs> do i leave that out or do i keep it in but fun fact famous quarterback can you guess the famous quarterback who has won super bowls that went there he is no longer a quarterback he is in his 60s now Joe montana <laughs> went to notre dame and fun fact he was not good in his collegiate years. Um, he actually was constantly benched and proving, trying to prove himself just to be the starter at Notre Dame. He almost went to another college for pro basketball. He would have been a pro basketball player if he didn't choose football. And he worked and worked and worked and studied the plays and then got better and then started to get the starting job. Won some crucial games. And then um, got picked by the 49ers and the rest is history. But it's very interesting to hear about one of the most famous, notorious quarterbacks. They had a hard time starting out. It's yeah. not always the glamorous story of, oh, I was a four-star recruit and I, you know, was the first round pick in the draft and I have had a like great a career. So, Tom Brady's the same way. Exactly. And I always say that. I always say, remember... Tom Brady, six-round pick. <laughs> six-round yeah. pick. That is the next-to-last round if you don't follow the draft. Look at him now. And I cannot stress enough, it does not matter. Sure, there is, of course, a level of talent that does matter. Of course, absolutely. You have to be good. You have to have a certain level of skill. But there is also a level of dedication. And that is what... I would argue Dak Prescott has. That is what Tom Brady has. That is what Joe Montana had. The list goes on. So that is a little fun fact about Notre Dame and love the colors. Of course, I am Irish, so I am a little biased. But um, yeah, <laughs> what's your next stadium? You know, you know, someone is going to discuss this at some point when discussing really pretty stadiums. So I went with the Rose Bowl. I don't think I need to explain that. I mean... The Rose Bowl has been home to countless tremendous college football games, some of the all-time greats, Texas-USC back in 05. Um, so, yeah, it's been 
home to some of the best games in college football history, at least 21st century. You know, the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. Pasadena, California, doesn't get much better than that. My fifth and final stadium. This is more so because of the field, not because of the actual stadium. The Boise State Broncos. Really? That blue field, I just love it. I think it is so, it's so different. Kind of reminds me of Coastal Carolina and their field. It's refreshing. It's refreshing to see on TV. And I think a lot of times because you and I both work in sports, seeing the same color field (laughs) every single game or all of eternity is going to get really boring. So I need some color. While the rest of that stadium looks very dead at least the field is lively so (laughs) tell you i do not like the smurf turf listen (laughs) (laughs) kid brewer stadium now most are not going to be aware of what stadium that is and that's fine it's appalachian states football stadium okay that's Uh, a good one that's a good one yeah they have the most incredible i say the best for last for this they have the most incredible view in autumn the forestry around that area boone is just so beautiful during that time of year i want to go visit so i'm i'm very surprised that you did not pick lsu as one of your 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 picks oh well that was on on the list of the most electric environments that wasn't pretty okay based on looks purely here is bleacher reports ranking of the top 50 stadiums and we'll go quick but I'm going to say 50 to 1 and just tell me if you agree or disagree. Harvard's stadium. That should be at number 46. It's... I don't think it should be on the list. (laughs) Next, Arizona Stadium for the Arizona Wildcats. 48, Texas Tech. Um, I like their environment. I don't really think it's that pretty. Sun Devil Stadium at Arizona State. That actually is very pretty. I have been there and I have been around it. Um, Tempe is cool. Arizona is actually very nice. So then we have Boston College in their stadium. Okay, Never been. I love their I love their campus, not the stadium. Heinz Field for Pittsburgh. Well, that has a, a lot of tradition with it. So true. Okay. I respect that. The Louisville Cardinals Stadium. Yeah, average. <laughs> yeah, it's average. I can't stand when stadiums have that one open side. Hate it. Oh. Close it. Why is it open? Purdue Stadium. Boise State. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yes, absolutely. Utah Stadium. Oh, now Salt Lake City is gorgeous. Um, that is number stadium. 41. Okay, electric atmosphere. Stadium, eh, it's, all, it's all right. Their video boards are tiny. Yeah, like the stadium itself is just okay, but like, the surrounding area is- yeah yes yes the surrounding area it's a great location for the stadium but the so, actual stadium itself i know i said the stadium is just okay but if you're combining everything atmosphere scenery that should be much higher on the list okay fair um west virginia's stadium that's okay i can see that the atmosphere I can see that is crazy there but missouri's for the mizzou tigers mississippi state eh no i think that atmosphere yeah stadium no I think the stadium looks like a high school stadium. I know. It does. You're right. I agree. It's crazy. The Air Force Stadium. Now, that one's cool because they fly planes over it. <laughs> okay. 
and the view of that stadium is one of the best. I almost included that in my top five pretty stadiums, but it just missed the list. Yeah. Okay. Now Yale Stadium, very cool. Oh, okay. I need to take a look at. Completely oval shaped, and it's it's like on top of grass. I can't even explain that. There's grass walls around it, and it's just beautiful. Michigan State, Spartan Stadium. It's okay. No, no, nothing great. Boone Pickens Stadium of Oklahoma State. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's some money there, but uh, stadium is just okay. Syracuse and their stadium, they do have a roof, so yep. that's that's cool. Love that. Carrier Dome, right? Is that what they still call? Correct. It? You are absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, then we have fun. Arkansas. Then we have BYU. BYU. Then Colorado Buffaloes. Yeah. You're on a roll here. Husky Stadium in Washington for the Washington Oh, I Huskies. love Husky Stadium. I almost included that. That That is a great atmosphere. And beautiful scenery with the lake right there. So Yes. South Carolina, their stadium, Williams-Brice. Okay, so their atmosphere might be the most underrated in the country because I don't think it's top five. So this could be a sub subject to opinion based on the person because what's underrated to one person may be overrated yeah, yeah. to the next. But their stadium their atmosphere is not going to be discussed in the top five but it's it's borderline really they have legion field at uab as 26. we're not even ranked on this list i think unt is better looking yeah than uab that's not just because we're rivals, but genuinely like i no, i don't see that uh the cotton bowl um wisconsin's stadium camp camp randall is pretty cool yeah Georgia Tech. That's right in the middle of downtown, so that's pretty yeah. cool, I think. Oklahoma OU Stadium. Yeah. What, what very Little sorry. Palace on the Prairie. Very big atmosphere for speaking about atmosphere and, and electricity in the field. USC. Calls, of course, I think they renamed it, but it used to be called the Coliseum. Now it's Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, so you're real close. Iowa's Stadium. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot the name. Uh, I forgot the name of it. Virginia Tech. Oh, Lane Stadium. Yeah. Yep. Florida State. Interesting. Okay. okay, now we're going up on the list. Virginia Tech's atmosphere is nuts. It's awesome. I've never been to Florida State. Are they? What do you well, think? Florida State can get pretty loud. Yep. All right. Texas Stadium for UT. Okay. We're, we're How high are we on the list now? We are on 17. Okay, so the, all the rest are going to be really good. So Correct. Georgia in their stadium. Sanford Stadium's really, yep. Alabama and their stadium. I'm glad they didn't put them higher. The only reason why they have the success they do is because of their head coach and the team, not so much the fan base. True. Auburn. Yeah. Jordan Hare is pretty awesome. Nebraska. Clemson. I don't really like uh, their fan base as much. Uh, they don't have the real Death Valley, though. Then Kyle Field. Kyle Field at number 11. Hell yeah. Oregon. The Oregon awesome. Ducks. Army and their stadium. That's actually pretty cool. I've seen it on TV. As we discussed, Tennessee and their stadium at number eight. Also, I was talking about the end zone earlier. They've got that checkered end zone. Oh, the brand. The brand of it all. The Rose Bowl, number seven. Yeah. Michigan Stadium, number six. Yep. Yep. Number five, Notre Dame. Number four, LSU. Number three, oh. Ohio State. The shoe. Number two. Florida. Florida Gators. Ben Hill Griffith State in that high. Okay. The number one. Can you guess number one? Let's see. Who have we not discussed yet? Wait. I'm going to see if I can get it. Penn State. Nittany Lions. How did you know that? Because <laughs> uh, their 
atmosphere is incredible. The scenery, it's, well, the scenery around the area is great. You just can't see it because the stadium is so built up, but. That's actually, actually crazy. I thought you weren't going to get it. Their capacity is over yep. 107,000 people. 107,000, <laughs> wow. Okay, they've increased by a few thousand in the last 10 years. It has the second largest capacity of any venue in America, just coming short of Michigan Stadium. Yeah, Michigan, man, the big house, man. It really lives up to its name. Now, this is true. It does look really cool on TV when they when Penn State has their whiteout. Yes, and they're going to be playing the Minnesota Golden Gophers for their <gasps> whiteout. Stop. Thank you so much, Connor, for coming on and discussing our favorite collegiate stadiums. This Thank is Sportify. Be sure to subscribe to anywhere you get your podcast, Sportify's social media, as well as Connor's social media with his college football encyclopedia.